We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, Suns are now 2-1 against the Dallas Mavericks. How are you feeling? Uh, hello, lovely people. I'm feeling all right, to be honest with you. If you are listening to this post-game pod after the Suns uh, relinquished their first game of the series against Dallas, it either means you're a super huge fan of us, so thank you, or you're a masochist, <laughs> so we'll talk about it. It wasn't the prettiest <laughs> game. But that being said, uh, it was an absolute must win for Dallas because if they had lost this game, they would have lost the series. No team has ever come yeah. back from down 3-0. So yeah. frankly, Mike, I mean, to be honest, the spread was about even going into this game. I guess there were a lot it of was. odds makers who really felt pretty good about a sun sweep. My personal leanings going into this game, I know it's easy to say this now, but I really felt like this was, I, I felt like Dallas had a clear advantage that they were going to give us their best. And they absolutely responded. They absolutely made a lot of necessary adjustments, particularly on the defensive end, but some really important adjustments on the offensive end as well. Uh, even despite all of that, and we'll talk about everything that they did, I still don't think they gave us their best necessarily. And it didn't feel good. You only lost by nine points. You can clean this up heading into game four and take back the momentum of the series. That's how I feel. I, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think they could do much better defensively that's true played tonight i think as far as seeing their best i think we did we saw their best defensively and that's not to say that they can't do that again i think it's possible they can do it again uh but it's tough to imagine a scenario where they play the suns better than that on defense offensively i think holding a top three offense to 94 points is exceptional it really is yeah it really is and look as far as this series goes if you thought it was going to be a sweep i'll give you credit for that that was uh bold to take that stance i know a lot of suns fans were really hoping for that but no i I, this there was always a chance i think this specific game was going to be the toughest for the suns after the last two and i think the way it played out 
to your point earlier, was not at all what I expected. Personally, I expected more of an offensive battle here, and it turned out it was just the opposite. Some uncharacteristic things happened, I think, for the Suns in this game. First of all, Chris Paul had seven turnovers in the first half. (laughs) That's the most he's ever had in a half in the playoffs. His career high for turnovers in a playoff game is eight turnovers. And in this game, he had seven in the first half, ended the game with seven, having zero turnovers in the second half, narrowly avoiding matching his career high by not having a turnover in the second half. But that's the type of thing where if the Mavericks can duplicate that, that's incredible. It's hard to picture that considering just what I said. He's never done it before. Uh, And, uh, you know, arguably has having some of the best seasons he's ever had as far as not turning the ball over with the Suns. So that kind of thing going forward, I think that would be the type of thing if the Suns can clean up the turnovers in like they had in the first half, that would be massive. Because look, here's the thing about this series. I've, I've said it over and over again. I call it the offensive execution series, meaning you cannot spot them extra possessions. And in this game, they had significantly more possessions than they, the Suns. They did it differently than the Pelicans, but they had significantly more possessions. Right, exactly. They had 14 more sh- shot attempts than Phoenix. Um, and actually, what's, what's interesting about that is we were, we did a playback stream tonight, and you were talking about this at the end of the first quarter. The Mavs had, I think, maybe a 5-0 to zero offensive rebound advantage over the Suns. And you were like, well, given the way this plays, they're getting offensive rebounds so far. It's frustrating, but that's not sustainable with the personnel they have. And to your credit... You know, it's just a logical thing to say. At the end of the game here, Phoenix ended with nine offensive rebounds to Dallas's eight. So the offensive rebounding thing specifically wasn't what killed you throughout the game, although it did kill you in the first half. But then in the second half, turnovers continued to kill you. So when we look at that difference in 14 field goal attempts between the two teams, it really comes down to Phoenix, 17 turnovers, Dallas, eight turnovers. It's it's completely uncharacteristic for the Phoenix Suns that we've seen all season long, but it's also completely unacceptable as we move forward in the series. You just can't play like that. I know that my analysis of role players play better at home is not the most sophisticated (laughs) analysis, (laughs) but it tends to be true. And look what the, what the Mavericks did in this game, the reason like Booker had five turnovers, Chris Paul had seven combined over 10 turnovers for those two guys. It's, It's a disaster, basically. And what they did in this game, the Mavs, is they showed two guys at Chris Paul and Devin Booker as much as they possibly could, meaning traps or at the very least some sort of hedge and recover. Mostly traps, though. Soft traps, hard traps, whatever you want to call it. And that forced the Suns to move the ball into the role players' hands, meaning Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, if you want to call him a role player, hasn't had the best two games, I would say, in these last two games. We'll talk about him in a minute. But if you're forcing the ball into the hands of the guys who play better at home, and it's a road game, that's a good recipe for the Mavs to have success in this game. You couple that with Jalen Brunson having his best game that he's had so far by a lot, and that's how you win. And that's essentially what happened here. But I do think even with those role players playing the way they did, Jay Crowder, had a sensational game, to be honest, on offense. Yeah, he did. Uh, But even with that, I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker could have taken care of the ball much better than than they did. They had some dumb, dumb turnovers that they can clean up. Dumb passes, Uh, yeah. And I do think the role players, just because they didn't play necessarily great in this game, even though Mikael Bridges did some good things, and, you know, Cam Johnson was not quite himself 
Jay Crowder did what he did. I do think that they could play better. And I think it'll be interesting to see because on these traps, they were not really giving it to DeAndre Ayton in that short role that we've talked about in the past. And I'd like to rewatch a lot of this game to see exactly why that was. I know they were you using would? other guys as screeners. <laughs> I, well, I, w- I won't say I'll enjoy it, but I, yeah. <laughs> I would like yeah. to see exactly what they're doing because I want to see what happens in the I next think, game. But what do you think? Well, I think it would provide fruitful uh, in, in terms of talking about the rest of the series for sure. Personally, I'm dreading it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to face the tape on this one. I kind of enjoy my position as not being, you know, inside the organization or not even like covering the team as a, as an official reporter or anything where, you know, I'm just a fan. And if it's a really bad game, <laughs> like a really brutal game, I don't yeah. have to, I don't have to rewatch it and analyze anything necessarily. So we'll see. It depends how I feel tomorrow. Um, look, Jay played really well, but just in general, this, this idea of force the ball into these, I'm not going to call them the others specifically, but just the role players hands. Um, it's tough. <laughs> it's it makes for a decent strategy on the part of the Mavericks and I think specifically why it's tough is because the Suns seem surprisingly taken aback by what Dallas's defensive strategy was in this game. I think they were still in the mindset like they got caught up in all the hype of people talking about how Luka turned out the worst defensive performance of anyone ever in NBA history at least the way we were kind of talking about it at the end of last game. And they, they embraced this game and they were caught in this mindset of still wanting to manipulate. They thought they thought it was the same game, and it simply wasn't the same game. Once Dallas changed up their defensive strategy and said, okay, we're going to show you two guys to the ball, and we're going to make sure that Luka is not always in these actions so that you don't have the chance to manipulate. What happened uh, was Chris and Devin were often kind of dribbling the air out of the ball. They were playing way too slow, not picking up the pace. Remember, we talked about pace as a key to the series in one of your distinct advantages that you have over a team that finished dead last in pace in the NBA. I thought you go into a game like this and you're too locked into the manipulation mindset where you want to take every possession and pick your exact matchup. And lo and behold, now you're using up 20, 21, 22 seconds of the shot clock and bogging down the rest of the offense of the process. A lot of credit goes to Dallas for what they were doing at the start of each possession with their defensive strategy but also Phoenix just didn't didn't respond in the right way and they were never able to make a, a mid-game adjustment. So that, that needs to change going forward as well. I mean, as we got into the third and fourth quarters, we saw them kind of start to make a little bit of a run. Like at one point, I think they were down by as much as 18 and they cut it to single digits eventually by the end of the game by starting to get some stops and then specifically pushing and getting those transition buckets. I'd be curious to see the gap between their transition offensive efficiency in this game and their half-court offensive efficiency. But their half-court offensive efficiency, just from my, my eye test, was putrid, uh, and they were never never able to, to get anything going. I just want to reiterate that. The most obvious adjustment the Suns can make is to play faster, just push the pace, because it's not just getting to the rim or getting a three-point shot in transition. It's not just that. It's putting their defense on their heels a little bit before your play starts. You know, Monty calls it playing with pace even when it's not in transition. That's one of the phrases he likes to use, playing with pace. It's not necessarily just running it down their throats, Kelly Oubre style. It's getting into your offense faster. Now, why the Suns played in the half court the way they did was because it really worked in the last game. It really did. 
they were able to just really dissect them and pick them apart. Um, you know, couple that with Luka Doncic being exhausted by the end of the last game, and that's yeah. why they were capable of doing but, that. In this game, he played different. off the ball a lot more. Yeah. He played off the ball a lot more. Jalen Brunson running the offense for a significant portion of the first half, and Luka Doncic coming in in the fourth quarter feeling much better, clearly, in my opinion. And then I think played pretty good defense, to be honest, in the fourth quarter. You know, nothing overly impressive. He had that one play where he was just kind of on the side of Chris Paul doing nothing, <laughs> which was very odd. But overall, I think he played pretty good defense, and I think that helped that he was in foul trouble and played less minutes as a result of that. But I think playing off the ball a little bit more helped him as well. But if they just push the ball, they're going to get into their offense a little faster, and that defense is not going to be as set. And and what is the point of you know having all this depth if you're not willing to use it in the way where you know you you continue to comp- you continue to build that fatigue for the other team? I mean, you should. They've they've demonstrated first of all the fact that they've been able to play like a fast team this year, um, and now especially with the depth advantage they have over this Dallas team, they need to use it. Just yeah, it was it was tough. Get was really easy tough. buckets, easy buckets in transition for Devin Booker, for DeAndre Ayton. We'll talk about. Let's talk about him next for sure. Mikel Bridges, for Cameron Johnson, for all of those guys that would help them out, uh, and and I think for Devin Booker as well. Devin Booker in transition puts so much pressure on them to get into foul trouble. That helps as well. And, you know, if you get guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, who I think had his best game defensively by by a lot in this game, if you get him in foul trouble, that helps out a lot. And if you don't, if you just let him off the hook a little bit, refs, yes, the refs made some weird calls in this game. But that happens every single game. I'm not going to harp on that too much. But if you get those guys, put the pressure on the refs to get those guys in foul trouble. That helps a lot. And, and pushing it in transition would help. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, 
and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. DeAndre Ayton. What are your thoughts on his game in general? I'll let you go first in this one. Um, if Unless you want me to. No, it's. Uh, a, but I, I mean, yeah. What do you think? I'm not going to bury the guy in this game because, frankly, uh, you know, if we're talking about issues, the Suns had like, you could yeah. point out something negative about every single player in this game yeah. go up and down the line. I mean, maybe 100%. maybe the guy who's most exempt from it tonight is just Jay Crowder, just because. Yeah, even Jay made mistakes, but he hit five threes, so it's like how much, how much can you really say? But everyone else, you can pretty much. Yeah, if you wanted to specifically target someone on this stat sheet right now and bury them, you could bury them. With DeAndre, it was kind of just the classical DeAndre Ayton, like an early career DeAndre Ayton game experience where, yes, he finished with his 16 points. Yes, he finished with his 11 rebounds. But there was a lack of urgency and energy that the Suns needed, especially with Booker uh, being blitzed and Chris Paul being hedged on uh, or whatever. And, 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 you know, forcing those offensive rotations from the Suns that demanded a level of urgency from DA that we never saw. So that was, you know, it was it was frustrating for sure. But what were your thoughts? I think that it's tough. It's just small things with him. Just looking alert. Second, you know, running down the court, he had some times where he was just kind of jogging or not really focusing on running down the court and little things like that uh, tend to drive me crazy. I think his play, we watched this game together, Sam, you and I, uh, and, and some other people were joining us for that one. Of course, all the people who watched with us on playback. Uh, but I think his play stood out as not that great to me, partially because the last game was not great either. And I was hoping for a massive bounce back game for him, which happens often with DeAndre Ayton. Has a bad game, comes back the next game, dominates. This game, I, I don't know, he just didn't look great. I think he looked a little out of it focus-wise. And I think that's often, that's everything for DeAndre Ayton. If he's locked in, if he's focused... Uh, it makes a big difference. KOC, Kevin O'Connor joined us on playback and he was talking about DeAndre and, and how oftentimes his teammates have to motivate him and he's not 100% locked in on his own and his teammates push him. Now, I think that's interesting analysis. I don't know if that's 100% true, but oftentimes we do see his teammates really pushing him in a way that you don't have to see necessarily for Chris Paul and Devin well, but, Booker. And that yeah, just that's, that's could Chris be just Paul. youth. Also, yeah. that's that's Chris Paul. You know, there there are standards that you hold guys to. If you want to compare him to Mikhail Bridges, for instance, and say that you know who on this team yeah. has ever had yeah. to motivate Mikhail Bridges, I think that's a fair comparison. Uh, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. You can't expect anyone to be Chris Paul. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a sicko to to borrow exactly. from JJ. So a hundred percent, exactly right. And I think that I just think that was interesting to point out during that game. And this was early in the game in the second quarter, so it wasn't just reactionary. Yeah, I um, think so. It, keep go ahead. Sorry. It would just be nice to see him bounce back in the next game. I think he I think to he have will. a great game. I think he will. I I think three games, you know, next game, if he has another bad game, so to speak, in a row, that would be three in a row. And and I want to reiterate, you know, I don't think this was a terrible game. 
Um, I think it was a below average game for DA, and I think he's perfectly capable of responding. Um, let's move on from him, though, to because I think this is this is maybe even more critical, honestly, just for this series alone. I don't know about the future. Um, his backup, JaVale McGee. Uh, if you want to talk about adjustments rotation wise, I think that's the easiest thing we've got right now. JaVale, he played 15 minutes in this game. Yes, he he's always good for six to 10 points just on easy rim runs, uh, but he was a minus eight. I think it was pretty obvious that they were conceding the switch onto Luka Doncic with JaVale McGee on the court yeah. too easily, and JaVale just could not stay with him. Um, he would be guarding other guys, and he could not stay with them, taking weird closeouts, still kind of refusing to to get all the way out on Kleba when, when he was sharing the, full, uh, the floor with Kleba, um, and then just being put in in weird positions on defense that forced everyone else to rotate out of position around him and put the Suns in bad spots. And I think what I know about Monty Williams by now that we always talk about is that he's really, 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 really good at planning for things at, at going into a game with a great game plan. Uh, mid game adjustments are not exactly his thing. So to that end, like, I would have pulled JaVale at a certain point in this game. It didn't shock me that Monty didn't pull him and decided to stay with him throughout the game and gave him his 15 minutes. Game four to me feels like it could be time for that adjustment. You know, whether whether you, whether you think it's Biz or whether you think it's Ish yeah. Wainwright, since Torrey Craig... That's the uh, question. Since Torrey Craig is injured now, you know, you could go either way. Um, but... I mean, just, if, yeah, if you're just asking me, like, what I would personally do, I've said all along I'm not super thrilled about JaVale's role in this series. And, and again, like, I, you know, he had seven rebounds in 15 minutes. That's great. But like I said, Dallas isn't winning the rebounding battle in this series significantly anyway. They won the rebounding battle tonight in the first quarter and then evened out throughout the rest of the game. I'm not really concerned about that. This is This is not the series where you should be concerned about being small if it allows you to switch everything on the perimeter and keep the ball in front and deny that penetration, which is what Dallas's offense thrives so much on. Um, so I'm all for it. Like, if you want to play Ishwain right next game, I'm all for it. If you want to play Biz, I can get behind it too. But how do you feel about JaVale at, at this point in the series? Uh, yeah, it's tough because I think the, the, main, the main reason, we talked about it before, we talked about it a lot, you can't really play DeAndre in off the floor, right? If you go small, but you can with JaVale McGee. You just, you just can. So it's not just necessarily that JaVale's playing badly. It's that they're going small in those minutes now, which I think is really smart. And if you go small in those minutes, JaVale's outmatched. And it's not just necessarily that he has struggles on defense. It's also that they're kind of forcing the Suns to try to go to the mismatch with JaVale and yeah. that means you're essentially running the offense through JaVale McGee. And that means JaVale McGee is down near the rim in the post fighting with a guy off the ball, which often leads to fouls, but also clogs up the lane for anybody else who's trying to drive to the rim. So if they're going to go small and just switch everything, which makes the Suns have trouble generating offense, then it would be nice to have some sort of situation where all of a sudden Davis Bertans is on campaign at the perimeter right. and there's no help at the rim and there's shooters surrounding him that allows him to drive and then get the ball out to his shooters or get to his shot on the left side of the rim like he likes to get to. So it's to me, it's a combination of he's going to struggle on defense. Those minutes were often played without Luka, but if Luka's in, he's going to get burned. If Luka's not in, then he's going to struggle on defense against some other guys, whether it be Dinwiddie or Brunson. 
or even just having to sprint out on Maxi Kleba or Davis Bertans, who was it was Davis Bertans in this game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think you know, spread the floor, give campaign room to work, and then switch everything on the other side and force them to find ways to attack that. I think the Suns can actually do better with Ish Wainwright in that. Yeah, scenario, I like it. Even even than Biz. I like it. Um, let's let's be very clear too, because you talked about them going small more often. The Mavs, that is. And Dwight Powell played a series low 10 minutes tonight as their starting center. He started out game one. He played 16 minutes, game two, 13, game three tonight down to 10. And his only stints were at the beginning of the first quarter and the beginning of the third quarter, matching up specifically with DeAndre Ayton. Jason Kidd knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing with yeah. that. Just gradually yeah. going more and more to, to, to five out to space the Suns out and, and credit to him because it's working. Is yeah, it? and if and it's and it's actually a good example of why they use Jalen Brunson so much in the first quarter. Because if you if you tire Luca out early in the game, and then you're going to five out, Luca's going to be involved in every action once they go five out. They could already do that even without him. But the fact that it would be a lot easier without a big on the floor, I think, is a huge thing because you essentially have to switch everything. No one's playing a drop. Maybe Luca tries to play a drop, which is kind of a disaster for them as well. But in that scenario. It's going to be extra tough for Luca to get going if they if they play significant, significant, significant minutes without that. Now it's still five out, right? And they can create and generate a lot of three point looks if they play five out. But the Suns at some point have to be conscious of the fact that they have a lineup that can go small as well. And even if you take Ish Wayne right out of it, right? Maybe they start playing more minutes with them early with that five out small offense. Then you got you got Jay Crowder. Right, you got Cameron Johnson, you got Mikael Bridges, and then you got Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And that's a five right there that can play small. And they can do that as well. It's not necessarily just Ish Wainwright. They have options that they can go to that include Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, essentially, at the five. So they, they have options to go to. And I think that's a big part. Adjustments wise, Adjustment wise, it's obvious a quick pace, right? Be willing to go small. Is there anything else that stands out to you? Like, what do they do against Jalen Brunson? That I think that's kind of a question. Well, I, I think if you're going to pose that question, you know, we have to quickly acknowledge that the Mavs did a much better job of doing exactly what we've asked them to. Uh, we, we spent all of last episode saying that it was a, a sham, essentially, that Luka was handling the ball every possession and that they needed to preserve him better. That wasn't particularly unique analysis because everyone around the league was saying the same thing. But then, lo and behold, how do you get Jalen Brunson going? You come into this game... <laughs> and you don't give Luca the ball every possession. You run him around some screens. You, uh, you know, you establish him later on in the shot clock from a split cut kind of position. The the sort of Golden State Warriors Draymond Green play, where he can size up on someone uh, with a little bit of size and then look for shooters like a Reggie Bullock who's running around a screen or something. You find ways to get other guys involved, and obviously part of that is allowing Jalen Brunson the space to be aggressive himself. And uh, Jalen Brunson in particular, we we talked about before the game how this was such a critical game for him because he's he also has the contract extension looming over his head. So after such a disappointing start to the series, it was essential that he goes out and plays like the, the player he and his agent are trying to market him as, right? So he finished with 28 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 10 of 21 shooting. Um, just kind of getting to his steady diet of tough, difficult mid-range buckets. And I think the thing about his game going forward is you don't necessarily sweat it too much just because nothing nothing that Jalen Brunson does is ever easy, 
this is kind of the beauty of his game, but it's also the scary part about his game. If you're thinking about paying him $25 million is that nothing he gets, he he's not an overwhelming rim presence and he's not an overwhelming shooter. He just lives in that sort of short mid range area and is trying to establish himself as one of those players uh, in the modern era in 2022 who can live out of that area on a night like tonight, he was able to do it. If the Mavs want to have any chance in the series, he needs to be the type of guy who can do it four times out of seven in a series, and we we just don't know if he's that guy. I, you know, I think like Booker played, continued to play pretty good straight up defense on Jalen Brunson when when he was matched up with him. He got got a couple of times on just really tough finishes. Talking through this now, it might be time to put Mikael Bridges on Jalen Brunson to start. <sighs> It might be time. What's what's Mikael Bridges really doing on Luka? They're, they're conceding the switch every time anyway, right? So often he's well, not, not shooting that's on not, him anyway. That's not, always, that's not always true because if it's if it's an action involved with the big, they're still dropping, and Mikael's still there. That's the big thing, Mike, is that Mikael's still there, and Luka feels his presence. Maybe he gets him on his hip. Yes, he's bigger, but like he comes around, Aiton's dropping, he comes around the screen, and Mikael can affect that play as a trailer. And that's as a the helper, big, you're right. As yeah, and that's the big thing to me is like Mikhail is still in the play. Jay wouldn't be in the play. Cam wouldn't be in the play. Booker wouldn't be in the play. Like that's the distinct advantage that that a guy with Mikhail Bridges' wingspan has on Luca is to make him even even when he has his eyes set on the basket and Mikhail Bridges is behind him, he still has to think about there's this guy behind me who's about to block my shot. And well, I don't hear think me out he, on this. He, he wouldn't have the same worry about other wings on the Suns. If if the game starts with Mikael Bridges on Jalen Brunson, do you think they're running the offense through Jalen Brunson to start? Uh, wait, repeat the question. If the game starts, Mikael, Mikael Bridges is on Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Here's my theory. They're not going to start the game with no. Jalen Brunson no, no, running no, no, no. the offense. Right? They're going to start it. You're essentially forcing them to use Luka Doncic the way that they did in the first two games by putting Jay Crowder on him and daring him to go at him over and over and over again, potentially tiring him out by the end of the game. You take Jalen Brunson out of the game. Now they're back to doing exactly what they did, forcing Luka Doncic to carry the loads that he carried, and the Suns are daring him to beat them on his own. And this is exactly what I talked about before game one in the the preview. To me, this is still a viable strategy if they want to try it. The only thing it does is, is potentially take everyone out of it. Then maybe, yes, maybe you have to all of a sudden use... Devin Booker as a helper or Devin Booker in that they kind of zoned up on Luca late in the game. Basically they just put two guys on him, but sort of in the passing lanes, not necessarily right up on him to try and force him to, to score with good defense right in front of him and not have easy passes out of that. Maybe that's Devin Booker in the next game instead, or maybe it's Jay Crowder. If they start switching Jay Crowder off of him, which I think could work. Uh, But Taking Brunson out of the game, I think, is is the recipe to beat this team. That's what happened in the first two games. And 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 Devin Booker, even though I think they were conceding switches on Brunson a little too easily as well, you kind of have to if he's running the pick and roll and he's getting screens over and over and over again. Booker can't fight through those every time. That's why I was worried about him on him to begin with. Mikael Bridges can fight through those screens. He's a little different as a defender. And even still, just like you said, as with Luka, He's sort of that guy haunting you, even if you do get that screen. So it's just my theory. I don't know if they're going to do it. I, I still think that that's an option that could throw them off a little bit. And look, he's going to play like he played 40 minutes in this game. We know what one of Monty's adjustments is, play Mikel Bridges more. <laughs> so he could just be 
on both of those guys if he plays 43 minutes in the next game. That's actually, significant that's actually a, the game. a good point. How much He played 38 minutes tonight. He was actually a minus 12 which yeah. uh, was tied with Devin Booker for team yep. worst. What a funny game. What a funny well, those game guys are playing when Luka played, and Luka played well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just I wonder if they're willing to try that. I have a feeling they won. I think the the answer to the question is obvious is often the easiest answer. Ish Wainwright. I don't know. I, I'd like to see it. Ish Wainwright plus three in one minute. Oh, there you go. Narratives. Yeah. If build, he plays, build them. If he plays 20 minutes, they're going to win by 60. <laughs> that's how it works. That's, that's how it works. That's yeah, it exactly. Works. Any other thoughts before we go? I mean, overall, I I guess I'm just a little bit disappointed that, like, like I said at the beginning, Dallas needed to win tonight. I expected them to come out and ri- not rip our hearts out in the sense that it was going to be a blowout, but I expected them to be clicking offensively. I really thought this was going to be more of an up and down, not necessarily a run and gun pace, but but more of a shootout between these two teams. And then you get a game where Dallas comes out and Mikhail Bridges plays pretty solid defense on Luka, plus Luka just misses some shots. I mean, he had 26 points on 25 shots. He got his his points, he got his quota, so to speak, but that's not great efficiency, coupled with 33% shooting uh, from deep as a team for Dallas. My point being, this could have been worse. There's a re- you know there's a reality where if Dallas shot like they did in games one or two where they were up above forty percent from deep as a team this could have been uh, it was a nine point loss it could have easily been a twenty to twenty five point blowout and I just I hope that motivates Phoenix and lights a fire under them for game four I'm sure a variety of things are lighting a fire under them for game four because it's <laughs> not just the fact that Dallas responded which they did but it's also that Phoenix was leaving so much on the table here. This was, there's no other way around it. It was just a disappointing performance from our guys. I think uh, coupling that level of defense with that high of shooting is, is how you create a championship team. That's kind of how the Suns play, right? So it'd be really tough to see them do that. I don't know if they have the personnel that can do that. Can they do it for one game? Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe the defense gets a little worse, the shooting gets better, and they can still take one. Um, but yeah, that, that'll be tough. And that's a good point. They didn't shoot as well as they can. They're capable of. There's one obvious question that I almost, I'm happy and sad that I saved this for the end of the podcast, but who refs game four, man, we were thinking <laughs> yeah. about it on stream, right? Yeah. Cause Is couple, it Scott Foster. A couple I mean, people, then- a couple people posed the question on the stream and I think, uh, it might be time. The NBA wants a longer series. I they don't, might give, do it I don't give a shit. If I don't, he does not make the Suns lose the game. I understand how he affects it. I understand how he throws everyone's rhythm off. I understand how he <laughs> tends to make the game about him. They can win with Scott Foster. It's of course they that we can. Think they can't. Of course they can. But it's yeah. it's it's like spooky nonetheless. You know what I mean? The like one I can't game, wait to see I think, how or the, the line two moves. games. Well, the one game they won with Scott Foster out in last year's playoffs was a game that Chris Paul was out. <laughs> that was game two in the Clippers series, I believe. <laughs> which is just funny. They've won in the playoffs with Scott Foster refing before. Chris Paul didn't play. Well, you know what uh, that means. Yeah. If it's What's if it it's announced as Scott Foster on Sunday, last minute scratch for Chris Paul campaign starts at point guard. <laughs> it's the only way. It's the only way to win. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you guys for listening. Let's see if they do any of these adjustments. I have a feeling the pace one is one they'll definitely do. Uh, but we'll be back 
Sunday's an early game. I'm looking forward to that. And we'll be back after that one with a reaction. Hopefully talking about the Suns being up 3-1, which is a very difficult thing to lose. So we appreciate you guys. Back soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.